we're continuing here on the Sermon on the Mount, the, uh, the great big three-chapter sermon that Jesus preaches in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, a wonderful encapsulation of his core teaching about what it means to live the values of the kingdom of God. And as we've been tracing through this over the last number of weeks, a number of months now, um, you've been seeing that one of the constant values that Jesus is pressing into is he's challenging people whose eyes are locked in on earthly rewards, increasing their wealth, increasing their status, increasing their power, increasing their importance. And he's saying, if that's what you, if that's what you aim for in life, yeah, there's a good chance you'll achieve it. Congratulations. Well done. You're now more powerful, more wealthy, more influential. Good luck to you. But ultimately, what does that mean for you? And Jesus is pushing back and saying, understand that these are not true treasures. They are trinkets of temporary value, but they do not, they're not treasures that have eternal wealth. And what Jesus pushes back on is seek first the kingdom of God, prioritize the values of the kingdom of God, even to the point of doing things that look like acts of self-sacrifice, like committing your time to praying or committing your, t- your uh, or, you know, fasting rather than eating or, um, you know, doing actions which actually, to some degree, challenge and deprive yourself as a way of reminding yourself that it's not your body, it's not your appetite, it's not your desires that should rule you, but there should be a greater value, the values of Jesus and the values of the kingdom of God that should rule us all. And it's here that Jesus picks up this part of his teaching. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate the one, love the other, you'll despise the one, or be devoted to the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Have you heard of FOMO, fear of missing out? I've heard that in this day and age, particularly in the social media, like this has always been a thing. So fear of missing out is when you're doing one thing, but in your mind you're aware of something else that is happening and you're concerned that the other thing is so much better and more exciting and more wonderful than the thing you're actually doing. And even though you're sitting in the particular moment in time, your mind and your imagination, your dreams are sort of wafting off somewhere else. Like, for example, you could be sitting in church today and you could be wondering about all the other things that other people are doing that you're missing out. Oh, I could be, oh, what if, but what if my friends are doing this? What if this person's doing that? What if, and what happens is even though you're physically present within a church space, your affections, your desires, your hopes are actually drifting off in another direction. And it's that fear of missing out. What else is going on out there in the big wide world? What's going on in my friendship network? What's happening in the world in which, which I live that might be more exciting and more fulfilling and more energizing than what I'm doing right now? And am I missing out? Am I going to walk out of church and start seeing messages from my friends saying, we just had the best morning ever. You just missed out. You had the worst. You know, It's a shame that, that, that you missed out. Um, and particularly in social media, this has got worse because people often put their best lives onto social media. And so you can find yourself looking at someone who, you know, someone's social media posts and they look always well-dressed and well-put-together and they only ever have clever and wise and pithy and intelligent things to say. And it just the, the package they present looks like it's just, uh, it's just this wonderfully compelling package. And we can find ourselves living a life in which we're constantly caught between two moments. We're constantly caught between the present moment that we're in, which let's be honest, for most of us, all of us, most of our lives are ordinary. There's a stunning revelation. Most of us, our lives are ordinary. So on a moment by moment basis, your experience of life is actually ordinary. 
you've got to walk to, you know, you've got to do, drive to do this and then you've got to sit down and then you've got to do some work for a couple of hours and it's not particularly exciting work and then you've got to make yourself some lunch and boy, that's a bit of a nuisance. And then, you, you know, most of our lives are ordinary. But what's happening at the same time is there's this unseen world which happens in social media which keeps popping up on our screen. And it's an unseen world of people who seem to have their lives far more put together than we do, who seem to be far cleverer than we are, who seem to be far better dressed than we are, who seem to be having far better lunches than I'm having right now, and seem to be living a far more engaged and exciting life. And there's this sense that we end up living in two worlds. We exist within our present moment, but in our heart and in our desire and in our imagination, we start playing the what-if game. What am I missing out on? How is it that other people have a better life than me? What is it? And there's this FOMO, this fear of missing out. Other people are getting something out of life that I'm not getting. And I can tell that because look how awesome their social media feed is all the time. They must clearly have a far more impressive life than I possibly could ever have. And what happens is we end up living in a life in which we're never fully present in the moment in which we're actually living. But we're constantly caught, caught between two worlds, scared that we might be missing out on something, never able, our mind is never able to settle down to enjoy what is actually in front of us. And our heart is divided, if you will, between two masters. Master number one is the call of the present moment. I need to eat some food, then I need to work on this project for work, then I need to make a couple of phone calls, then I need a trip to the dunny and a glass of water, and isn't that the most boring life you've ever heard in your life? And the other life, which is this glamorized life, which I see other people seemingly live on social media and imagining what it might be for me to aspire to live such an amazing life. And caught between these two masters, our present reality and this world that, that feeds into our affections and desires, we end up living a divided and uncertain and unsatisfactory life. We end up looking at ourselves and judging ourselves far more harshly than we ought to. And we end up imagining that everyone else is getting something out of life that somehow we're missing out from. And discontent begins to creep in. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't live your life in that divided space. You can only serve one master. But let me just pause there for a minute because there's an interesting uh, assumption that sits behind the statement, you cannot serve two masters, which is simply this, all of you serve a master. What Jesus didn't say was, don't serve any master. What he said is, you can't serve two masters, so pick one. And you got to, I've got to have one? Like one master? Yeah. All of us serve a master. There is something or someone in your life who is calling the shots. Can you name that person? Not out loud. This is not a, I'm not inviting discussion at this point. You're welcome to. But can you name that someone or something? What, what or who is calling the shots in your life? Who is your master? There is something that you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, thing to the moment it calls you. Have you ever done that thing where you just say, you know what, I'm going to go on a diet and the diet lasts until lunchtime? And you begin to go, wow, my appetites are more of a master. Even though I have this desire and this great plan to become healthier or whatever the, the grand vision is, you know, that vision lasts about three hours. And you go, wow, that appetite kicked in hard. Wow. It's very hard to say no to that master in my life. Have you ever had that experience? What is it that is calling the shots in your life? What is it that shouts an order in, you, in your ear and you rush to obey it? 
Jesus is reminding us that divided loyalty is not possible in the kingdom of God. The values of God, the teaching of Jesus, cannot and does not agree to the appetites and the desires that naturally arise with us in our lives. We either live for this world, we live for our appetites, or we live for Jesus. We cannot serve both masters at the same time. And Jesus says what will happen if you try is as much and all as you think you're successfully juggling two masters, you can't juggle two masters. What will happen is you'll end up loving one and hating the other, or a different expression, that you'll become devoted to the one and find the other one to be something of a nuisance in your life. One of these masters will have your heart, and the other master will get whatever's left over from you. Even if you think you can juggle two masters, you can't. So the question is, how do you know which master you're serving? Well, ask yourself this question. Whose words and actions do you try to explain away? Whose words and actions do you try to explain away? Do you come to church, hear the teaching of Jesus, and think to yourself, Jesus couldn't really mean that? Explaining it away. Jesus must only be speaking to people in his day. Surely in our day, we know better than Jesus. Jesus must only be speaking in spiritual truths, all this stuff about fasting and prayer and giving. That's, you know, that's, that's, you know, that, that, there must be some deeper spiritual meaning that I can apply that to so I don't actually have to physically confront myself with these realities. Jesus, Jesus doesn't understand the practical needs of today. He doesn't understand practical needs. You know? So he's, he's disconnected from our day and age. Or look, Jesus is a nice guy and he's got very good things to say, but we can't take everything that he says seriously. Whose words and actions do you try to explain away? Or maybe if Jesus is the master, do you think to yourself, wow, I've just heard what Jesus said and now I really need to look at my decisions in the light of what Jesus is saying. Is it your own words and actions that you now need to confront? I need to stop making excuses for myself and really listen to Jesus closely. I need to talk to some friends here in church and meet with them once a week so we can pray together and support each other to follow Jesus better. In other words, when there is a conflict between your plans and your desires and and Jesus' teaching, how do you deal with that conflict? Do you try to explain away Jesus' teaching and excuse your own behavior? Or do you try to understand Jesus' teaching and discipline your own plans and desires. Jesus doesn't make things easy for us, so let me just pick this up. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he says this, if you want to be my disciple, disciples simply means a word of, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be someone who lives the life I've created you to live, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Can you hear the single-minded purpose? Which master are you serving? And what Jesus is saying is, even if your familial obligations, even if your family obligations are calling out to you in a way that is contrary to a life lived honoring Jesus in the world around you, then to be my disciple, you need to be willing to actually step into the ways of Jesus, even at the cost sometimes of these relationships. You cannot serve two masters. That's a hard, hard calling. By the way, don't blow up family relationships just because you're arrogant. I've seen people do that too. They they quote Jesus when actually really they've just got an attitude problem. 
This is, a, this is a rare case, but it's confronting us to think very deeply about what it means to be faithful, to live the life that Jesus has called us to live, even in the face of the opposition and sometimes the rejection of those closest to us. Jesus finishes his teaching by saying, you cannot serve both God and in the New Living Translation, money. But actually in the Greek, it doesn't say money. It is a word called mammon. And mammon is a word that's bigger than money. Mammon speaks about our wealth, speaks about our property, speaks about our provisions, speaks about our finances. Functionally, what the word mammon is doing is it's speaking about anything in which we place our confidence. And what, God, what Jesus is saying is you cannot serve God and mammon, wealth, possessions, provisions, finances, anything in which you place your confidence. Jesus is saying you can't serve God and your stomach. You can't serve God and your comforts. You can't serve God and your own ambitions and desires. You can't put your faith in God and your faith in food and provisions and your bank account and your property and your, and your investment portfolio and your superannuation fund. You cannot have faith in both of those things at the same time because you will come to love the one and hate the other. You will come to despise one and be devoted to the other. That's what that journey will look like. If you think you can balance both, you can't. Your mammon will get in the way of you serving God. But serving God will mean that your mammon doesn't hold you and control you. So let me offer just a few reflections of my own. The issue, funnily enough, is actually not about what we have. One of the great ironies of the Bible is that there is wisdom in the Bible that says, if you are diligent, if you are trustworthy, if you are a good neighbor, if you are honest, if you are frugal, if you are generous, one of the things that happens in your life is you get wealth, right? If you're a good neighbor, you tend to get the wealth of getting more friends and people who trust you. All of a sudden, you've got a network of people around you. If you're a good person and you're, you know, and you're engaging well with your family, one of the fruits of that is you tend to have a better family life as a general rule. Right? If you are careful in your work, if you're diligent, if you're hardworking, if you're faithful, you tend to get promotion and get opportunities. Your income tends, tends to go up. And if, you're, if you are wise with your money, you tend to get a larger pool of funds available to you. In other words, there's this weird tension in Scripture in which there is wisdom that says the more you live a life that honors God and God's values in a funny and weird way, the, more, the most broadly way possible, the wealthier your life becomes in terms of friendships and family connections and relationships and even finances and money and other forms of security. So the question that Jesus is asking is not, have you been faithful in a way that has increased the value and, the, and uh, the wealth of your life? The question that Jesus is asking is, what's controlling you? What is it that you're living for? To what degree has your career and your finances and your bank account and your friendship network and your family become a master that when it calls upon you, you will put aside the call of God upon your life? Do you live now more for your comfort, more for your sense of security, more for your sense of honor and respect in your networks, more for your property and your money and your food and your possessions? Do you live for these values more than you live for the values of goodness and generosity and justice and peace and wholeness in the world around us? One of the greatest challenges for us, and I I touched on this a few weeks ago, is what is it? You know, your greatest treasure, what is it that you will never spend on anything else? 
One of the traps that we have in our culture is one of the things that is our greatest treasure is our comfort and our reputation. What is it that you'll spend your comfort on? What is it that you'll spend your reputation on? And in many cases, the truthful answer is I never would spend my comfort. You know, I might do it for an afternoon, but I wouldn't actually do it for the next decade of my life. You know, that's way too big a call. I'm not going to spend my reputation. These things are more precious to me than anything else. Jesus is challenging us too that he's, he's reminding us that you can't split your treasure between heaven and earth. You can't split your treasure between heaven and earth. We can put aside the values of the kingdom of God and pursue earthly wealth with all of our hearts. And you know what? In many cases, if you pursue it, you'll probably get it. Congratulations. You'll own a nice big house and a nice Lamborghini and a nice big investment portfolio and you'll look powerful and your friends will be impressed and you might even get on a ABC talkback radio show as the as the impressive man of the week, impressive woman of the week, having a nice conversation about how impressive you are. Congratulations, well done, you made it. Yippee for you. Doesn't mean anything. Does not mean a single thing. If what undergirds all of that is a sold-out passion for the ways and things of God in your life. When you get to heaven, God's going to look at all of those treasures and he's going to call them trinkets. Trinkets. Everything you sold your life to is going to be looked at and gone, eh, trinkets, false jewels. And what he's going to be looking for instead is to what degree do we, does God see Jesus in our life? And the more he sees of Jesus in our life, the more true treasure we have gained in this life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, and it says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. So it's not saying teach these who are rich in this world to stop being rich. That's not what he's saying. But teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those who need, always being ready to share with others. In other words, take the wealth in your bank account and turn it into a wealth of generosity is the transaction that Paul is is, uh, talking about here. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So my final reflection for you before I lead you into a time of just prayerful reflection yourself is simply this. What have you sold your life to? See, Jesus here is addressing our will. He's addressing our choices. He wants us to serve the right master. And the trap is the more we love our things, the more we love our status, the more we love our reputation, the more we love our money, the more we love our comforts, the less we love God. That's the transaction. And guess what? The more we love God, the less attractive all these other things begin to appear to us. Their value diminishes in our eyes and it becomes easier to be generous with them, to give them away or to see them as tools that are used to bless other people. The more we love God, the less attractive and shiny these things begin to appear to us. So I'm going to leave just a few minutes of silence and I'm going to put three questions up there on the screen. I'm going to invite you into a place of just reflecting on them yourself. This is not conversation. But quiet reflection, who or what have you sold your life to? Who is your master? And be honest. 
we all like to say, God, Jesus, Bible, when we ask this question. Oh, it's God, Jesus, Bible, all, all the way. God, Jesus, Bible. Um, be honest. Who or what have you sold your life to? If God, Jesus, Bible calls you to do something that risks your comfort or your reputation or whatever it is, to what degree does God, Jesus, Bible actually win that argument in your heart? How do you shrug off or explain away Jesus' words so that you can serve a different master? This is one of those moments in which the word of God is in your heart, but to, how do you explain it away or shrug it off so that you can make room for a greater master than Jesus in your own heart? And then the one I really want you to get to, so if you can't do the other two, that's fine, but at least land on the third. What's one small step you can take this week to live with Jesus as your true master? Notice one small step. Just pick one little area of your life in which you go, you know what? This week, I'm going to live that part of my life with Jesus as my true master. And I'm going to see what it looks like to prioritize love of God as the highest priority in just that part of my life. And when I do that, I'll see how attractive the things that I am sort of holding on to looks to looks to my eyes once I've placed the love of God as my true master in that one area. What's one small step you can take this week to live with Jesus as your true master? I'm going to invite you into just an attitude of prayer and prayer for reflection. You can have your eyes open looking at the screen if it's helpful to see those questions. But I'm going to leave a few minutes. Can you prayerfully consider these questions in your own heart? thank you first that you call us into true riches you challenge us not to be distracted by temporary successes and trinkets that gives us a feeling of status or importance or power but you call us into the true wonder of humility the true glory of service the true power of generosity the true freedom of grace Thank you, Lord, that through the life of Jesus Christ, we saw what a life lived according to these values looks like. And Heavenly Father, for each of us as disciples, as followers of Jesus, I pray that that image would be burned more and more into our own hearts, into our own words, into our own behaviors, into our own motivations. By your gracious, gentle, Holy Spirit, bring us that conviction that causes us to see our lives through your eyes not as judgment but as an invitation an invitation into a bigger and a better and a more glorious life than we could ever create for ourselves following our own appetites Lord God guide our hearts and guide our hearts deeper into your purposes for us 
we commit all we've discussed, all that we've reflected on into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.